Hello and welcome to Kyle's Internal Monologue. In this episode we're going to be covering the very first two-parter of Babylon 5 Season 1, and that is A Voice in the Wilderness. This is a very important episode for the rest of the series. It sets a lot of groundwork for what is going to become... Uh, important uh, in later in later episodes, or um, introduces plot threads or particular items uh, uh, such as the 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 machine uh, on uh, on epsilon three that will all come back in some form or another later down in the series. So it's uh, super cool to see that here. Um, it, it's sort of one of the bigger more important episodes of season one season one is a lot of laying the groundwork and now we're finally into season one's hot streak as i refer to it because from here on out the rest of season one is pretty damn amazing um a i mean we got we got this two-parter then we got um uh, Babylon Squared. We got the uh, uh, the Acts of Mercy episode, and then and then we got the finale Chrysalis. So we get we get a lot of like really good uh, episodes, all written by JMS, of course. Um, and the uh, the stage the stage has really been set up and well developed, and now it's time to take what we have set up and play with it, sort of uh, wreck the castle, the sandcastle you've built kind of mentality. Uh, it's it's really, really fantastic. Um, and this episode, much like uh, what I was saying, is it, th- th- this episode within of itself is already really good. I think it does have some problems, but it mainly comes through... Um, uh, the fact of the it's very clearly a two-parter but it was filmed together and you can tell the cliffhanger is the i think the cliffhanger is the 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 biggest problem with this episode the cliffhanger is you know a ship's coming through the jump gate and uh we, we hear the noise and, and you know uh garibaldi goes my god and then it to be continued it's it's very clearly a scene that was frozen that was literally just paused cut the credits and while i've seen that work in other shows it doesn't really work here it comes off as rather cheap and cheesy and future cliffhangers in this show are much better but right here this is this is sort of the first cliffhanger and i don't think is all that great to be honest um and that that's i think it's an inherent problem is it just comes out of nowhere it's sort of awkward and it just comes off as uh just rather cheap it's like i was saying uh, i think that is easily the weakest bit of uh, uh of this episode but the episode itself the both parts are absolutely fantastic all around uh it's one of my favorites of the season um just wonderful i don't know how much i'm going to be able to talk about because a lot of it is spoilers so the a lot of my discussion will probably end up being in the spoiler section uh but i will talk about what i can um so uh there's also noticeable uh like babylon 5 had has had a lot of uh funny moments and stuff but there's there's a noticeable uptick in the jokes uh in this episode 
um, there was a, there was a fair amount of criticism that some of the characters uh, lacked a great deal of sense of humor, uh, and, that, and that everything was a bit too serious at times. So JMS um, um, was intentionally trying to inject a bit more humor, but without sacrificing the characters he had created, um, and all the all the bits of humor. Uh, feel like extrapolations of the humor that was in previous episodes. So Ivanova making no, like noticeable Russian jokes and uh, Garibaldi all, uh, being uh, incredibly incredibly referential to 20th century humor, uh, but but also uh, incredibly quippy. Everything is just a lot. It's a bit more upbeat while also dealing with dealing with a, a serious story. As I mentioned back in Grail, it had comedic moments, but the music sort of made it a comedy almost in certain aspects, and it didn't really fit the t overall tone of Babylon 5. This is where the jokes play well with the seriousness and feel perfectly within character. Um, a, a great example is, is Lanto trying to understand Earth culture and researching the Hokey Pokey uh, and not understanding what it means. And he's like, I've had the computer analyze it. It doesn't mean a thing. Um, and it, it's wonderful. And it, it shows the existentry of humans that we don't think about from the perspective of an alien. It, it's comedic. It's a comedic beat that also plays into character development and world setting. And when you can combine all of that into one, it shows it shows just how powerful someone is as a writer. And JMS is an incredibly skilled writer, where he's able to combine multiple tones and multiple different objectives in every scene to form a cohesive whole. Uh, and that is amazing. Um, the... I, I, I like the uh, everything to do with uh, everything sort of seems to be going down at the same time and it 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 feels it, it puts you in the perspective of Sinclair and everybody where you feel like the pressure is on the you're the, it's almost a claustrophobic feel where you where you feel pressure on you 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 you, you just want to get out of the, the this sort of maelstrom of events that are going on much like they do. I mean, there's there's the Mars revolt going on with the terrorist groups on Mars. Um, you you have the uh, um, the Epsilon 3 machine being found. Uh, this new race that no one had ever seen suddenly shows up and it's staking a claim. Uh, Earth is trying to stake a claim to Epsilon 3. And there's tons of political stuff going on, so it, it, it sort of overlaps, and feel, you feel the pressure the characters are in, and it, it it works well to put you in their mindset, and I think that's really good. Um, there's there's a couple of character beats that I want to focus on. The these character beats are um, the reason why the previous caretaker of the machine picks Sinclair, Londo, and Drawl. I think this is the most interesting thing, is that Drawl is a new character introduced for this episode. So subconsciously, um, you're you're going to assume once it's revealed that someone needs to take the spot of the caretaker that it's going to be Drawl. I mean that is simple. It's it's predictable writing, but it's smart predictable. And the fact that yes, it's a 
it's a new character, so obviously, quote-unquote, he'll die and take over the machine, even though it's not actual death, but it's sort of like when a new character shows up and there's a new villain that shows up coincidentally at the same time. Boy, isn't it rather obvious when it's that character? Um, or, you, you, you know, that kind of thing. Where it's predictable, but it's done smartly in the fact that it could have easily been Sinclair or Londo. They make the point of pointing that out, that it is an interesting that, they, it, that, it, that he only appeared to these three people. And as Draw reveals, it's because it's probably because only those three in particular understand the third principle of Shantian life, which is the ability for self-sacrifice. Um, and the, the idea with that is that um, the, they are the, all three of them feel lost in their lives. I've talked about this in a certain extent to Sinclair and Londo's arc so far. Uh, so Londo uh, feels like a washed-up politician. He's got a job that no one else wanted. He feels like he's a joke. He feels like his life is a joke. All he does is he spends most of his time in the casinos gambling away his money and feels ineffectual and useless. He's lost. Um, the entire episode, um, Born to the Purple, was about him uh, him feeling lost uh, and finding purpose through Adira. I mean, he even has this line, what am I to you, a washed-up uh, Republican? Uh, you know, he, he's, he's got no... He's got no self-worth because he feels like everything he's done has been for naught. Uh, and he remembers the glory days where he, you know, led the charge of this great battle. And now they're just a joke. They're the galaxy's clowns. No one takes them seriously anymore. Uh, so his job, his people, everything is a joke to him. And now he feels lost. He doesn't feel like he's living a life. Sinclair had lost his purpose after the war. Not only did he lose 24 hours, but he he witnessed a lot of his friends die. The Battle of the Line was literally the last-ditch effort to, uh, to protect Earth, and it was a suicide mission. Everybody knew it was a suicide mission, and he miraculously survived while everyone else died. He feels lost. He doesn't know what his purpose is anymore. That was the entire point of, while it wasn't a great episode... In a matter of fact, it was a pretty bad episode. Infection was all about him trying to find purpose again and vaguely having a death wish and being suicidal, which Garibaldi uh, talks to him at the end of the episode about that. Uh, so he's feeling lost, and, and now that he's found out more and more about that 24 hours, that missing 24 hours, it's uh, more of a feeling of uselessness and, and loss. And he doesn't know what his path should be simply because... Um, now he realizes he got this job not out of his own worth, uh, worthiness, but because the Membari requested it. And the Membari have been a bit shady when it comes to dealing with him. Drawl, uh, is seeing the increased tension between the religious caste and the warrior caste as growing tired of the endless bickering. And he feels lost in the fact that they were united and now they, they've divided since the war and he doesn't know what to do anymore so now he's gonna go and journey the stars to feel useful again to do something before he passes on um and that 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 sort of mentality of what is my path what should i do um, there's a great quote from the pre for, for, from a couple seasons from now i'm not going uh, that that uh uh, that, that, I'll, that I'll say I'm, I'm the uh, I'm the arrow that springs from a bow it's all about seeking your purpose your life what should you do 
what is the path you should follow. Um, and of course, while it's obvious to pretty much anyone that Droll's going to be the one that takes over the machine, it's still well handled and is used to further everybody's arcs uh, and uh, is central to the major theme, which is self-sacrifice, that someone... Uh, the, the, the sentient and sapient life has the ability to self-sacrifice because they need to have a direction and they understand the difference uh, between young and old and that's even a point when when he when Sinclair tells Garibaldi that he needs to get make sure that if, if this thing happens Ivanova needs to be off the station she'll insist on staying but she's young she's the beginning of her career you know uh, they're, they're both old dogs uh, they're having to learn new tricks they need to find a new path a new direction but Ivanova's young enough where she can learn and adapt and needs to live a more fulfilling and full life than they are uh, Garibaldi's entire arc is much like this is, is feeling useless but it's it's not the same kind of loss. He has a direction. He has a purpose, which is to find out what happened to Lise Hampton. Uh, and, uh, you know, to, to find out what happened to Lise, uh, his one-time girlfriend on Mars. And his connection to Mars has, has been hinted at and is incredibly important to him as a character. And then we've come to find out that Lise was someone he considered marrying and he feels like he screwed up that relationship and so he wants to get back with her so he has a purpose he has a direction he just feels useless because he's just the security chief and he's a ordinary normal person uh he's the everyman of this show and in and in this situation a planet a, you know a, a secret Technology has been uncovered on this planet, and it could explode at any point in time uh, because the self-destruct has been activated. Um, the Mars, the Mars uh, revolt has happened. He doesn't know what happened to the love of his life. Uh, she could be dead. She could be alive. Uh, Earth is uh, is sort of uh, uh, expanding its uh, its might out further into neutral territory around Babylon Five. He's feeling incredibly stressed, incredibly lost in the terms that he's being pulled in multiple directions. And he has a purpose, like I said, to find out what happened to Lise, but it's overwhelming everything else. Uh, he feels useless. He doesn't feel like he can accomplish anything. Um, and it's, it's used to great effect to show just how far he's, he's, he can be pushed. As we saw in uh, Survivors, when he's pushed too far, he falls on old vices. Um, such as his alcoholism, and he's also very combative, uh, as we see when uh, when he engages in that fight in the bar with the bigots who are like, you nuke them till they glow, you know, death the Marsies, and, and Garibaldi understandably gets really pissed off at them, like you should, to horrible bigots like that, those kind of people, but he takes it too far by outright attacking them. Uh, because he's already on the edge, he's very volatile because he feels useless, and this gives him a purpose. Deal with these assholes. Um, and so therefore, boom, he, you know, he, he, he goes right at them. And also there's a fun little reference in that scene because, you know, what's the magic word? Shazam? Which, of course, JMS is a big comic book fan, and that's a reference to Captain Marvel or Billy Batson, um, who says that magic word, Shazam, uh, to turn into Captain Marvel. The entire ordeal of of the Mars revolt and uh and Earth Earth sending a warship out to Babylon 5 is all about uh everything that's been going on in the previous episodes we've seen that Earth has slowly but surely 
been getting worse and worse, and political tensions have been at an all-time high. There's even a news report saying that Santiago didn't want to result, re resort to uh, this level of violence, but was felt pressured to end up doing it to repay in kind. So when the Mars revolt happens, which we've been hearing about the un the unsatisfactory way that Mars has been treated by Earth, the revolt comes to no surprise. But Earth wants to secure its position. Uh, now that a, a, a ancient ancient piece of technology has been unveiled on on Epsilon three. They, they, they send out a warship in order to sort of gain g gain a foothold into that area to lay a stake to the claim. Uh, but it's also a show of force. It's the big stick policy. It's, uh, it, it, it's uh, might makes right. Um, it's basically trying to scare anybody in submission. Yes, we have our own problems, but we're going to deal with these problems head on by uh, waving the flag. So... While uh, while other other races are trying to stake a claim to the great machine, the uh, Earth wants to ensure that because this is a Earth Earth station, even though uh, the Mimbari helped co-fund it and so did the Centauri, uh, they they can lay a claim to it and say it's ours. Back off, uh, because this kind of advancing technology could lead to Earth's superiority over other races, which we have seen is a priority for a lot of politicians to ensuring Earth's superiority over others because they got they got steamrolled by the Mimbari 10 years ago. Uh, and, will, and, and, and losing a war like that often leads to growing resentment and xenophobia, but also a armchair quarterbacking in a way of, we could have won if this was different. Uh, and so they want to lay a stake to the claim on the great machine so they can get the advancing technology. It makes perfect sense from their perspective. It's a stupid decision. It's without a doubt a stupid decision. A big stick policy very rarely works and more often than not angers other nations. Um, and Sinclair rightfully tells them so and, deny and refuses to follow orders, which this is... You know, continuing to show Sinclair is willing to play, but it, it plays by the books, but is willing to disregard orders he believes is false, wrong, or stupid. Uh, and but he will still play by the rules in ensuring that he can deny these these uh, these uh, orders in a diplomatic way. The entire, uh, just as a comedic thing, I I um I love the Babylon Five mantra. I really really enjoyed that uh, you know Ivanova is always right uh it, it, it's a great moment and really shows Ivanova's strength as a character and uh, uh we, we we've always known that she's very strong-willed uh but th that scene really sells it to us and shows uh you know her willingness to accept the risks but also uh willing to tell people when she thinks they're being stupid or bullheaded and that's exactly what she does uh and it's great um another an, another uh aspect uh there, there are two other aspects before i get into the spoiler section um is uh entire thing with talia and garibaldi now the actual the two actors in real life end up having uh, uh, a uh, end up being end up having a romance and end up being married later in life, uh, but it is worth noting that uh, these these characters have been shown to uh, to be at least Garibaldi has been shown to be attracted to Talia before, 
uh, Talia less so to him, and he comes off almost in a creepy sense of that he's always in the elevator when she's there, um, and, and it's sort of a schoolboy mentality of oh I gotta I always gotta follow her around and stuff, but when he really humanizes both him and her when he comes to her and she she thinks he's there to hit on her ask her out on a date and it's actually to get her information on the uh the secret psychor facility because he knows it's there even though it's classified in order to find out what happened to lise the the it's it really shows the humanity of the two characters when he opens up to her and he's like Yes, I really cared for this woman. I know that you may not want to help me, but please, you're the only one that can help me. It really shows that uh, while people can be stupid when they and act stupid in the name of quote unquote love or attraction, when they when they feel attracted to someone, they will often act stupid around them. When you're uh, when when you have full uh, thinking capacities and you're not thinking of it that way, you can tell that they're just a bumbling buffoon, and that they actually care about something. It really humanizes Talia also because she's always been pro psychor and uh, seeing this where where she understands uh, where he's coming from and has to t talk to the psychor people and their refusal to help and she eventually convinces one to at least look up the name uh, it really helps solidify uh, both their characters as uh, as as care as caring people even though they 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 work jobs and live in a place where caring is often a detriment. Um, and, and it's also a nice inversion of the the uh, the awkward uh, the the awkward guy who's trying to hit on the girl. When you come to find out, it, it, while it was that at first, it, it, now it's evolved into something more human, more playful, um, and less creepy. Uh, the other the other thing I want to talk about before spoilers is uh, the the cycles of violence i've talked about this before between the narn and the centauri um there's a negotiation between the bimbari government and the centauri government with delen and londo and then sinclair proceeding over it as a neutral third party and londo makes a comment about how easy it is to um to, to uh negotiate with delen compared to dealing with uh, the Narns and specifically Jatar and how much they hate how much he hates him and how much the Narns hate the Centauri and he has some of the great the, the, one of the great lines there of uh uh, uh, of we are victims of mathematics you know uh they they, they say that uh uh for every action there must be an equal and opposite reaction um and so the Narn and the Centauri are basically stuck in this endless loop of hatred with each other because they keep egging each other on and it will never end it is the laws it is the laws of mathematics it's and it's 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 a cruel and pessimistic way to look at it but it's also very true because in real life we see the cycles of violence continue on speaking of londo before i move on to spoilers is the scene where he comes to garibaldi who's struggling uh with everything and he's like whatever it is it can't be that bad that speech it's one of my favorite scenes in the entire series uh it really shows londo's strength as a character that um despite his very boisterous nature he does ultimately care um and him and garibaldi are really good friends and his sort of 
clown nature uh in this in this season currently uh feels very in line with a sort of bringing happiness and joy to the rest of the station as he says uh, i will go ahead and move into spoilers um so on that note of the 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 cycles of violence between the narn and the centauri and the whatever it is it can't be that bad um uh, there is a sense of irony where he's where he's uh, where he says you know if if the Norns all thought about uh, hating it, it, it all hated at the same time across the galaxy uh, their hatred would form into a ball and and eradicate uh, Centauri Prime surface. The irony, of course, being is that next season they will uh, the Centauri will unleash mass drivers on the Narn. Uh, surface decimating their ecosystem for many 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 years to come and destroying their civilization as they know it currently um and enslaving them again it's a really sad fate but there's also an irony into what uh londo said um of course the great machine itself you know it's going to come back several several times would be used for so many plot points but there's also a lot of references to the future or um, time went in reference to the great machine uh, you know its purpose is for the future uh, you know, or uh, as the previous character says it's not meant for this time uh, it is it does have the capacity to do time travel to open up a small section of space to do time travel and w which is what will happen more without end for the uh, resolution of the Babylon squared uh, story arc with Babylon 4 and all that. Um, of course, Droll will have a different actor uh, in subsequent appearances. However, this is perfectly explained and well within his character that uh, the machine helps to age him because he appears as he wants to because he now feels like he has a purpose again. He's no longer the old man. He is now the the young Mimbardi that, that, uh, that had a purpose and that was willing to fight for what he believed in. Um... Of course, Lise, Lise uh, will show back up. She's going to be appearing in the next episode in a, some, some really clever, dumb flashbacks. And, and then, of course, she's going to become vitally important to Garibaldi's overall arc in season four and five. Um, everything that's going on on Mars, of course, will uh, lead to resentment, and we're getting dangerously close to the assassination of Santiago as he's feeling pressured. He's ineffectual now because what Earth, the Earth... Oh, what Earth wants and what he wants is entirely different. He wants to strengthen the relationship with aliens, whereas they want to become more isolated and xenophobic. Uh, and, th and this is becoming harder and harder for him to manage. Uh, this is Senator Hidoshi's final appearance. It's worth noting he's been the, one of the few senators that is pro B5, and of course by the time we get to next season, he will no longer be a senator, implying that he was pushed out as a result of the growing tensions of what's going on on Earth. And, and uh, we, we get mentions of, uh, we've already had mentions of Londo's three wives, um, but he mentions the dancer uh, that he uh, uh, that he married, and uh, uh, she had a voice that could curdle fresh milk. Uh, this is implied to be Team of uh, when we get to the episode Soulmates next season. 
um, or which is team off, of course, is vomit backwards. It's really clever. Uh, Peter David wrote that episode. Peter David's an excellent, excellent uh, comic book writer, and he wrote some fantastic episodes of Babylon 5. We get to meet his three wives, and it's heavily implied that uh, that Timov may have been that the dancer he talked about in that, that scene. Um, but no, this is overall a amazing episode it's one of my absolute favorites of season one it's definitely high contenders it appeared in my top five season one episodes when when i did it on the daily fandom uh for the 25th anniversary last year it is just overall really 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 good because everything that we have built up on comes to a head here snaps into place so we it basically is wrecking the sandcastle that has been built but still meanwhile building more uh, a bigger sandcastle the great machine i mean this is a game-changing introduction of some you know this is a massive important thing and the galaxy will never be the same as a result of it and that's not the last time i'm going to be saying that because uh uh as the last lines of season one is uh, you know nothing's the same anymore um i cannot wait till we get uh, to some of the great stuff coming up but next episode next week we're going to be covering uh babylon 5 season one episode uh, babylon squared which is a fantastic episode of course as i mentioned uh, you know that we are in the, we're in the big hot streak um and the there's a lot of interesting implications of what babylon squared is as a result of because michael O'Hare had not left yet the original intention for the arc was entirely different than what we ended up getting though uh james manages to fix that arc later and still do it really well uh even with michael O'Hare's departure from the show so i will be talking in more detail when we get there uh but it's super exciting that we have finally reached babylon 5's hot streak even though the rest of the season has been pretty good with a couple of mediocre episodes with it within uh we are in the that massive hot streak that's hoarding towards the season finale um so fantastic episode all around voice of the wilderness and uh the first two-parter which uh, we will be getting more of those um and this entire series is fantastic with a couple of duds but the two-parters tend to always be excellent quality uh but anyway i shall see you next week for babylon squared bye <laughs>